Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so episode 22 brings the five-issue miniseries, Chewbacca. This miniseries is a part of the Heroes for a New Hope collection, which is what I've tackled in previous episodes of the show. Uh, The first one was the Princess Leia miniseries, the second was the Lando miniseries, and here we are to the third and final Chewbacca miniseries. Bit of information before I get into the narrative and that sort of stuff. So as I said, there are five issues of this miniseries. Issue number one was released in October 2015. Issue number five was released in December 2015. Although it was like the 30th of December, so it was right at the end of that. Uh, The trade paperback collection of the five comics was released in March 2016. And the Heroes for a New Hope collection of the three Lando, Princess Leia and Chewbacca miniseries, that was released in November 2016. The writer of this miniseries is Jerry Duggan, who also did the Beckett one-shot comic that I've spoken about previously, and a gentleman called Phil Notto did the artwork, the colouring, and also the cover artwork, which in these Star Wars comics is quite a rarity, so congrats, Phil. The miniseries itself is set straight after A New Hope, much like the other two miniseries in the Heroes for a New Hope collection, which means it is zero ABY, so zero years after the Battle of Yavin, because it's seemingly all of the people who are involved in the rebellion straight after blowing up the Death Star and things seem to go off on their own little crazy missions as well, so that's basically what this is. And then the final thing before we get into the narrative, I just want to give a little bit of uh, information about Chewie, like I often like to. So Chewie was actually born 200 BBY, so that is 200 years before the Battle of Yavin, which means at the Battle of Yavin, as in in A New Hope and in this comic book, he is 200 years old. Uh, Just for a little bit of context here, that means in Revenge of the Sith, when you see him speaking with Yoda, he's 180 years old. He's about 190 years old in Solo, obviously he's 200 years old in A New Hope, and then in Rise of Skywalker, he's around 235 years old. So they're general ideas of how old Chewie is. Chewie also knew Yoda, because obviously you see that in Revenge of the Sith, Um, him and Tarful speak with Yoda when Yoda's on Kashyyyk, and Chewie also met Ahsoka Tano, the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, who features very heavily in the Clone Wars series. Uh, There's an episode where she gets caught by Trandoshan slavers, and I think Chewie does as well, so they meet and manage to escape and things. It's a cool episode. Some people are unaware that Chewie also has a family. It's kind of mentioned in films, I think, in passing, but it's in the sort of expanded content a little bit more. He has a son called Lumpawaru, who anyone who has seen the Star Wars holiday special, which is very, uh, let's say controversial, um, Lumpawaru is in that. I don't think he looks like he does in the holiday special, fingers crossed, because that was nightmare material, but his canon name is Lumpawaru. Uh, Chewie sometimes calls him Lumpy, or rather, I think the translation of his nickname is Lumpy. Um, he is actually mentioned in Aftermath Empire's End, which is the third in the Aftermath trilogy, which I really recommend to people. There's actually a, a whole chapter about 
lumpy essentially and being reunited with chewy which is really nice uh, chewy also has a wife called mallow Tobuck, who is only seemingly mentioned in empire's end i think in passing but then is also named in the junior version of the a new hope novel so lots of very random little tidbits of information here and there and also chewy's dad for the fun of it is called atitius cuck uh, which is mentioned in the solo junior novelization so yeah apologies for the pronunciation there it's quite hard to pronounce uh the language of the wookies as well is shriwook so whenever you hear chewy speaking in that that's the language he's talking in so there's quite a few fun things on that as well uh and then there's a few other bits and pieces i'll go into sort of as we go along with the comic um but this is a fun comic and i will just say this compared to the lando and the princess leia one i think they're all fairly good but i think the lando one is probably my favorite of the three and then probably the princess leia one this chewy one is really good but obviously chewy being the main protagonist he doesn't really have well he has dialogue but you can't understand it because obviously it's just roars and things so he does have a little companion who talks kind of he bounces off him a little bit but it is a child so it, you know it's that sort of thing i will also say that this comic was adapted into a children's storybook called chewy and the courageous kid so if anyone's interested by that you can go get that instead of this comic Right, so I think that means I will get into the narrative of this. So I'll just start by reading the sort of title crawl. I'm going to try and start doing that on more comics. Uh, so pr I'm pretty certain that all Star Wars comics have some sort of title crawl thing at the start of them. So this is the one for Chewbacca. It is a period of renewed hope for the Rebellion. The evil galactic empire's greatest weapon, the Death Star, has been destroyed by Chewbacca, warrior son of the planet Kashyyyk, with some help from his trusty sidekick Han and his friends Luke and Leia. But Chewie's not one to grandstand. There is still much to accomplish. The Battle of Yavin reverberates through the galaxy as our Wookiee hero embarks on a very important and personal secret mission. Unfortunately for Chewbacca, his loner spacecraft proves to be what they refer to the Outer Rim as a hunk of junk. So with that out of the way, let's get into the narrative. In the first issue, it starts on Andelm 4, uh, which doesn't seem to appear in other canon content. There's a guy called Jorm, who demands that a man called Arax pays a debt to him, essentially. Now, Jorm is an unidentified alien, from what I can find. Um, he basically has green skin, orange eyes, is kind of like a reptilian in some ways, not too dissimilar from Trandoshans. Uh, Trandoshans are what Bosk the Bounty Hunter was, that's probably the most famous Trandoshan. Kind of looks a little bit like that-ish. Um, but they wear a sealed helmet, like an astronaut helmet, sort of. But it's got gas inside of it, so he's in this strange spacesuit thing which feeds him gas and also the gas seems to cause human pain on contact and potentially even death so he's an alien from a planet where obviously the air is not breathable by standard humans uh, he wears this strange suit thing he's kind of reptilian ish with green skin and orange eyes and there's no confirmation of what he specifically is or at least i couldn't find something online so anyway, Jorm is demanding that Arax pays a debt, and Arax's daughter, Zaro, argues with Jorm saying, you know, we shouldn't have to, that sort of thing, blah, blah, blah. And in retaliation, Jorm puts them into the beetle canyons, which are essentially it's slave labor to harvest this lava of this beetle, and the lava, as in the young form of the beetle, the baby beetles and lava, gross. Uh, they're essentially quite valuable because they've got certain chemicals and things in them that are uh, sought after. For clarity, Zaro and Arax don't appear anywhere else, except in that obviously Chewie and the courageous kid that I mentioned. That's the only other time I can see them mentioned. 
what happens in the sort of the slave labor it's like a cave with lots of slaves and things in there and whatever but arax helps zaro escape so he helps his daughter and while that's happening you see chewie wake up from a crash landing Chewie inspects his starship, and it turns out he needs a new flight stabiliser, so he wanders into the nearby town to grab one. Meanwhile, Zaro has escaped on Jorm's speeder, and she basically tries to sell it to someone in the town, uh, but he calls Jorm instead because he knows that it's Jorm's speeder, and that causes a lot of issues. The person that she's going to sell it to is actually a Bessalisk, not a Basilisk, a Bessalisk. Uh, essentially, a Bessalisk... You guys would recognise him most from Attack of the Clones, Dexter Jetster, which is Obi-Wan's friend from the diner, uh, who he takes the Kamino chip to, or he takes the poison dart to that kills Zam Wessel, and he says, you know, where this come from, and Dexter says, oh, it's, it's a Kamino chip, so that's where you need to go. And that obviously starts off a lot of the events in Attack of the Clones. So, also, in the Clone Wars, there is a character in the Umbara arc, who is a very important character to the arc, but I won't say anything more about him, but he's called Pong Krell. So both Dexter Jetster and Pong Krell are the same species as this dealer, which is a Bessalisk. And yeah, they're basically vaguely reptilian-ish. They've got kind of scales, kind of. They're quite big, they're quite tall, they've got four arms, and they normally have like like a frog-like chin, almost like a big almost like when humans are fat they've got like a really big double chin it's kind of like that but you'd recognize them you know what i'm talking about everyone knows dexter jetster he's the best character so anyway after that dealer calls jorman things uh zara runs and while that's happening chewie speaks with this Bessalisk, and he's not he hasn't got enough credits so he can't actually afford to pay for the parts that he needs so it cuts to Chewie being in a casino, he plays a bit of Sabacc, and he actually doubles what he put in. And for clarity, many of you should remember Sabacc, I think it's one of the most commonly referred to games in the Star Wars universe. Probably most prevalent in Solo. Uh, it's Lando is playing Sabacc, and when Han meets Lando, they play Sabacc and that sort of thing, and then right at the end he wins the Millennium Falcon back from Lando doing Sabacc. So Sabacc is quite a lot in it, it's just like a card game thing. So yeah, Chewie plays that and doubles his earnings. While that happens, Zara is being chased by a bodyguard of Jorm's, and she hides under a table that Chewie is at, and then the guard kind of approaches him, looks at the Wookiee, and goes, no, okay, I'm not going to deal with him, walks away, because obviously Chewie is quite fearsome, and Wookiees especially are quite fearsome. Now, the bodyguard is a guy called Tyvak, and Tyvak is actually a Shistavenon. Now, I've mentioned Shistavenon briefly before, I think it was during the Galaxy's Edge comic that I spoke about, uh, Doc Ondar's bodyguards were Shistavenon. They're essentially just like wolf people. That, that's very, very simple. It's just like imagine a werewolf, but not gigantic, scary, and terrifying. Just like a normal person, put, like an anthropomorphic wolf, essentially what it is. Uh, yeah, Doc on Dars Guards and Galaxy's Edge is probably the most common one you guys would know. And it's before the A New Hope got turned into the special edition and they added a few things. In the original cuts, there was a Shistavenon in the cantina, but it got cut out and replaced by someone else. But yeah, trivia. So after the bodyguard leaves Chewie alone, Zara pops a little head up and asks for Chewie's help. Says that Jorm is trying to sell the planet to the Empire. He doesn't really seem fast, he doesn't really want to help at all. And they walk away from the casino and things while they're chatting and whatnot. And she mentions slaves. And Chewie gets very annoyed by it and suddenly gets quite antsy in things. Because obviously Chewie was sold into slavery and things. That's where Han finds Chewie in Solo. So... While that's going on, there's a thing where Jorm is basically dealing with the Empire and trying to sell the planet to them. So the second issue starts with Zaro and Chewie. They're scouting Jorm's mine because Chewie agrees to help Zaro rescue her father, who is still in the mine and things. 
Zaro has a tracker and then gives Chewie the device to be able to track her, essentially. And Zaro goes in there and deliberately gets caught so she gets thrown back into the mine to do slave labour with all the other people. While that's happening, Chewie is kind of tracking her on the outside, finding exactly where she is, because obviously it's a mine, so it's underground. So he's just like walking around on a field with this tracking thing, watching where she's going. And I will just say, what this comic does do quite well, actually, is it very subtly shows a lot of Chewie's trauma from being a slave. There's quite a few little flashback times and things. Um, one of them is actually when Chewie finds Zaro, as in he tracks her to a place and then thinks it's appropriate to go down and try to help her and things. He starts to climb down this sort of drain grating sort of thing. It's quite a thin tunnel. And he gets in there and he immediately starts having flashbacks about when Trandoshan slavers shot him with a net and then captured him and put him into really small spaces and a box and crates and th things like that. So he immediately gets that and he kind of jumps out a bit and is kind of yells into the sky. Obviously very uncomfortable with that sort of thing. Then back at the mine, uh, Zaro manages to find Arax, and they basically, Jorm confronts them and captures them and things, and Jorm then kills a slave right next to uh, Zaro's dad. Basically, the slave has had enough of being sold and this, that, and the other, so he runs at Jorm with a shovel and then just gets shot. When the slave gets shot, Zara and Arax immediately start to run away. They go for a few rooms in the sort of mining system and things, manage to escape Jorm, but they run into a couple more of Jorm's guards. And that is when Chewie pops out and saves them. It's a really cool shot, actually, where you see just the silhouette of Chewie ripping people's arms off and destroying droids and things. And you see uh, Zaro, she's she's a little girl. She seems to be probably about 8 or 10, I'd say. There's no concrete thing online of how old she is, but she seems about 8 or 10. And you just see her smiling as she's watching him like beat people. And then there's like four panels, and each panel, her face drops a little bit more each time. By the end of it, she's a little bit horrified because Chewie could be very brutal, which I thought was cracking. Then Chewie gets a gonk droid, which is basically, they're like walking bricks. Uh, they make the noise at gonk, and they're in all of Star Wars, they're everywhere, in games, movies, loads of different things. So it, just imagine like a giant walking brick, and that's basically, I say giant, they're about R2's height, maybe a bit taller than R2, but it's just a big block with legs. And Chewie opens up the gonk's wiring and things, wraps a bit of wires around like a staff, and then launches at one of Jorm's security droids, and electrocutes them and shorts out the circuit. The droids that Jorm uses seem to be special custom-made ones, they don't seem to appear anywhere else. After this, it cuts back to Jorm, who is sort of watching some of his other slaves and things, sorting out other stuff in the mine, thinking that Zara and Arax have been taken care of. And I just want to read you the little uh, exchange here, because I think it's brilliant. Um, he hears help in the background, and he turns and says, what the hell's happening down there? And the guy goes, the miners, they've conjured up some sort of hairy demon. And immediately, Jorm shoots the guy straight in the face, calling him a dolt, and then says, this is my fault for employing spice addicts. And just for clarity, spice is like a drug in there. I think it's, in essence, the theme of it is kind of like heroin, in, from what I can tell about spice, but I haven't really looked that much into the spice in the, the Star Wars realm. Then it cuts back to Chewie, who's just taking care of the last of the battle droids, the uh, Jorms, and then a guard comes up to him and says, huh, looks like someone brought a dead power droid to a blaster fight, because that's just as the gonk droid runs out of power, and then he no longer has the electric uh, sort of pole thing that he's been using. And so Chewie launches the gonk flat onto the, the guard. He runs at him, holding the gonk droid, and smacks him with it, which is amazing. Chewie then runs ahead to the area where Jorm was, but he can't really see him anywhere. But then he looks to the side of him and sees like a minecart filled up with this beetle lava. His eyes widen as soon as he kind of notices that happening, and then it shows Jorm and his bodyguard Tyvak aiming a sniper rifle just at Chewie, and then he basically shoots the lava right next to him, causing a massive explosion, which is where issue 2 ends. 
Issue 3 starts with Zaro finding Chewie under some wreckage and things, and then they both shortly after find Zaro's dad, Arax. They all seem to be fairly okay. Chewie's fur's on fire a little bit, but Zaro manages to pat that out quite quickly and easily. Um, but all that commotion and things, it turns out that it turned off some of the power and things, which was the things repelling some of these poisonous Andelm beetles, which is what this lava is from. So obviously they went into the mine, found all these beetles and things, used something to make the beetles escape, like repel the beetles, and then they could harvest all the lava. And with the mine being blown up and things, that completely deactivates, so all these beetles are going after them. The swarm chases them, and as they're trying to escape and things, Chewie shoots the ceiling and sort of over a doorway, which then causes another sort of avalanche of rocks, which then seals the exit. One of the guards mentions that Chewie is a Wookiee because Zaro can't speak Shriwook. She didn't even know he was a Wookiee. He's never even seen one of him before. And obviously Wookiees at this point in time, most of them have been enslaved by the Empire. So they're quite rare to come across now. And she's obviously very young, so she didn't really interact with any of them before uh, the Clone Wars or anything like that. And then they're trying to think of a way to escape because obviously Chewie's blown up one of the exits, the whole mine shaft is sort of falling apart. And so Chewie points upwards and then decides to show everyone else that he's going to dig his way out. So Chewie gets like a boost up from some of the other prisoners and things because now Zaro, Arax, a few other people and things. Uh, he boosts his way up. He manages to dig through sort of the ceiling and it's just under like a really big tree. So he uses a lot of strength, has a lot of cool panels of him sort of growling, trying to use his like almost like his anger. He thinks about him when he was a slave and makes him think how angry he was. So he's like pushing up on this tree hitting it with a shovel the shovel breaks he's really forcing his way through and he does eventually manage to break through and come out the top Chewie, Zaro, Arax, and a few other people who are slaves manage to escape. They climb out the hole, and they're very thankful for Chewie. And then the dad is saying to Zaro, "Look, you can't. We need to leave. We need to run away." And Zaro is saying, "Look, the look what the Empire's done to this area. They're they're going to do this everywhere. Jorm is helping the Empire. It's going to happen. It's going to just get worse and worse. We need to stop it now." And then. Arax says to Chewie, look, you need to protect her, you need to sort of save her, and whatever you do, do not go to the spaceport. And he nods, and then Zaro says, got it, we promise to stay out the spaceport. And then the next panel is, a short while later, at the spaceport, <laughs> which is quite good. At the spaceport, they meet a gentleman called Sevox, who agrees to help them. Now, Sevox is... He's a blind man, but he's got these strange glasses things on, and it turns out that he got some sort of infection, and his eyes, he lost his eyes, essentially, and his body rejects implants that people get. Um, I've mentioned before, I think, Valance from the solo Imperial Cadet comic, he had to have implants. Obviously, Luke and Anakin had hands cut off, they're like robotic hands, that's kind of like an implant, but this guy's body rejects implants, so he can't get new eyes. So instead, he splices it with his protocol droid I-7, and the protocol droid is still conscious and things, still talks and things, but he can kind of see through what his protocol droid sees. It then cuts to Jorm, who's in this casino or nightclub of some sorts, and two of his guards walk up to him, and he's like, what now? And they say, we caught one of your workers skulking around my squat. And this worker who's got a damaged arm, he's on his knees, and he says, it's my keep, you stole it from me when you forced me down into the mine. And Jorm says, first things first, I'll give you what you have coming, but tell me, how did you manage to escape? And the guy goes, well, the, what do you call it? Uh, Wookiee, freed us. And then Jorm unplugs one of these sort of tubes that's going into that helmet filled with gas. He puts it towards the human slave. The human slave's like, what, what are you doing? And his skin starts to boil and he basically collapses on the floor, seemingly dying. And Jorm says, assemble the men in the main hangar now and redirect the array. I need to make a deep space transmission. And that comic ends with a Star Destroyer saying... You were instructed to await contact, Jorm. The initial sample we provided is still undergoing testing. 
And Jorm says, well, it's hard to have patience when everyone's trying to kill you. I made him muscle quickly. I think there's some rebellious attitudes down here. And this guy, Commander Kai, says, oh, very well. I hope your city streets are wide enough to accommodate Imperial Scout Walkers, which are ATSTs. And just for a little bit of trivia on ATSTs, uh, ATST stands for All Terrain Scout Transport. Uh, they're first seen in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, they're also in The Last Jedi, The Mandalorian, and of course, Return of the Jedi, which is probably where people remember them the most, because obviously on Endor, when the Ewoks are fighting, there's a lot of ATSTs around. So, yeah, All Terrain Scout Transport. Moving on to comic number four, um, I just want to start by reading out uh, some of the dialogue. Essentially, you've got Chewie and Zaro in a speeder, along with Sevox and his droid I-7. Which I'm sure the reason they called it I-7 was some sort of eye pun to do the implant thing, but still. While in the speeder, they get a transmission uh, from someone called Lageos, uh, one of Sevox's friends, basically saying, we're packing up, we're leaving, because an Imperial Star Destroyer has just showed up in the system, so we're going. So the dialogue is, starting with Sevox, this is a disaster, Zaro, and the droid says, let's not be rash, perhaps the Empire will bring optic implants that your body won't reject, and I will be free. And Zaro says, quit roaring, we've got a plan. Chewie roars, and then Sevox says, Calling a repair droid crammed with explosives a plan is an insult to plans across the galaxy. And she says, it's not the only part of the plan. And then Chewie growls a couple of times, pops the droid's head back on, so it's like an astromech droid, kind of like R2, more so like Chopper from Star Wars Rebels, uh, like an older sort of astromech model. And he has the head off of it, fills the inside with explosives, pops the head back on, and punches it like a womp noise happens. So it's quite a nice plan. And then they get to essentially where Sevox is taking Zaro and Chewie, and Sevox says, Tell you what, I'll move out of my lab for a while. Now you've got a quiet place to lie low if you need it, but if you are captured, don't mention my name. But if you do mention my name, tell the Empire I've been enslaved by my protocol droid. And I7's like, wait, what? And I, I just thought, it's a nice little bit of humorous dialogue. I mean, as I said, this doesn't have a huge, huge amount of dialogue compared to the other uh, two comics in Heroes for New Hope, but it does have some really cool ones in. I'm not reading all the really good dialogue, because as I said, I always try and like to get people to... This is a guide to go along with uh, reading the content with enough information so that if you don't desire reading it, you've still got enough canon knowledge, but I do so recommend people go and read it. The last thing that Sevox says to Chewie and Zaro just before leaving is that, seriously kid, whatever happens, don't let the Imperials think you're part of the Rebellion. She says, don't worry, we'll have Jorm taken care of before there's a single Imperial on the ground. And the next panel is Chewie and Zaro in outfits. Chewie looks like he's some sort of giant battle droid and she looks like a very small bounty hunter. And in this one little panel, there's already five Imperial scouts. So she's very wrong there. And uh, she says, Sevox is right, we're going to die. Chewie and Zaro do manage to sneak past the Imperials that are there and they confront Jorm. And then while kind of trying to play off that there's something else that they're not, uh, they then attack. Chewie's got this sort of chain gun sort of thing. It's like a la it's a laser gun still, but it's like a laser chain gun. It's pretty heavy duty stuff. And he's shooting it and caught creating loads of havoc and stuff. And then the gun starts to sort of click and seemingly jam. And the Imperials around him are like, ha, his gun's jammed, let's get him. Still thinking he's some sort of weird battle droid. And then he roars and rips out of all of his disguise and launches himself at them, which is pretty terrifying. 
And while this is all happening, the little droid that they've got, you know, fitted with the bomb and things, it starts to go up the ramp to go into Jorm's ship, and it gets hit, so it just stops. Fortunately, it doesn't explode, but it just stops on the ramp. While that happens, the Shister Venon, named Tyvak, confronts Chewie with like a staff and basically he's kind of like taunting him saying he's going to kill a Wookiee he's not scared and things and Chewie ignites this severed engine that's right next to him it kind of looks like a jet engine sort of thing uh, but it's right next to him he ignites it which then sets out a huge amount of heat and fire immediately igniting Tyvak and launching him across the room and the engine as it's been ignited it flies around the room and smashes into the side of an ATST, which is only just starting to become operational from people being inside it and things Zaro is, while this is all kind of going on, trying to sort out the droid, uh, she sets a timer up for the droid on Jorm's ship, and then manages just to kind of get off. Jorm gets onto a ship, he leaves, and as that's going on, Chewie and Zaro go to leave the hangar, and as that happens, five scout troopers capture them for interrogation and say they're going to take them up to the nearby Star Destroyer. So in the fifth and final issue, it starts on the Star Destroyer, so Chewie and Zaro are on this Imperial shuttle, just sort of landing on the Star Destroyer in the hangar, and they manage to take out all the troopers within there, and they speak to an Imperial officer who walks up to the shuttle and things, and they manage to convince him that Jorm is actually a rebel. Now Jorm appears, basically, as that's being said, with like a crate and saying thank you, you know, we'll have more deals to come in the future, and then as Zaro and Chewie kind of leave a little bit the droid then explodes causing the hangar force field to fail and then because there's no force field it's like an airlock being opened so everyone starts kind of getting sucked out Jorm and the Imperials manage to get to the command deck they get behind a couple of closed doors and then say they're going to get to the command deck and Chewie and Zaro manage to well more so Chewie hold on to something he climbs across these ropes almost like a jungle sort of thing not dissimilar to how you see it a little bit in Revenge of the Sith actually when the Wookiee's doing it on Kashyyyk and they get into a Thai bomber while they're faffing about with the controls and trying to get operational things to get out of there, they accidentally drop a bomb, which is basically a big thermal detonator, and it lands but doesn't quite explode on impact. They manage to fly out and kind of escape the hangar and start flying into space, enter, trying to go back to Andelm 4, and as they're coming out, the detonator explodes, causing a lot of damage. They manage to fly down to the surface, Chewie does do a bit of a crash landing and Zaro kind of gives him a bit of a bit of shtick for that because obviously his other ship has also crash landed as well and she says like maybe you can you know have some flying lessons here or something and they have a sort of discussion and Zaro mentions about gratitude she says it's really cool what we've done today the empire shouldn't come back and things we should have this all sorted and things but no one's gonna know it's kind of a shame you know I don't necessarily want to be hailed as a hero but it'd be nice to have a bit of gratitude and Chewie gives her his medal now I'm going to come back to that a little bit, there's only a couple more lines I'm going to read, and then after that I'm going to explain sort of the medal thing, because it is the medal you're thinking of from A New Hope, but I'll explain that a bit more. It cuts back to Jorm, and he basically gets tortured by an interrogation slash torture droid. They're those like orb droids, they look a little bit like a probe droid. I believe they're in Empire Strikes Back, Vader uses it on Han when he's torturing him, and it gets used in other Star Wars works as well, it's quite a common thing. They use mind probes as well, which is like being injected with truth serums and lots of other horrible things that can make you uh, tell the truth and reveal what the Empire wants you to reveal, and they've also got lots of other horrible pieces of equipment that would cause a lot of discomfort in other ways. So that's going towards him, because they're convinced he is a rebel, because Zara sort of explains, she manages to sort of paint the picture saying that he's just lying to you, if you go back down to the planet like he says he wants you to 
he's just going to ambush you. The things that he's given you, the samples for mining and things, he bought them off world. He didn't actually get them from our planet. Look, I'm on your empire side. I just don't want this rebel to get the best of you. And that's how she manages to convince the Imperial officer. And so while that's happening also, the explosion that was caused by uh, Zara and Chewie seemingly damaged their hyperdrive of the Star Destroyer. So the Imperial says to Jorm that they've got several weeks until they're at the nearest Imperial base, so it's going to be a pretty unpleasant ride for him. Then it goes back, and the last few panels is Chewie returning to Kashyyyk for a ceremony. And he gives a child a bandolier. Now, a bandolier is that thing that Chewie wears. It's like the, the diagonal strap across him. Normally has, like, ammo or weapons, like, sort of, things stuck within it normally for army stuff and he gives the child the bandolier it doesn't explicitly state this and i've looked online i can't find a concrete answer but it seems like the child is his child lumpawaru as i've mentioned right at the start of this who's mentioned in the aftermath books and things like that so i believe he gives a bandolier to lumpawaru as a sort of like a coming of age sort of ceremony and then the Millennium Falcon arrives to pick him up, and that kind of finishes. I'm just going to read you the sort of last dialogue, because it's like a monologue by Zaro talking about Chewie, and I just think it's quite cool. And just to clarify, um, Zaro is speaking to her dad about this, Arax, because she's home safe. So this is every bit of this is like a tiny bit of dialogue on the panels that shows Chewie going to Kashi, going to his family, and giving them stuff. So it says, I asked him to stay, but he was on an important mission. If he hadn't landed here, well, I don't want to think about what might have happened. I think he survived his own jorm and didn't want us to live as slaves. I'd love to if he'd stayed here, but I knew he had to leave when I figured out what was inside of that box. Because he has a box by his speeder. I think he's on his way home, and it's not going to be a happy homecoming. I was kidding around about joining the rebellion, but that Wookiee is right in the middle of a war. And with any fight comes loss. And it makes me realise how lucky we are. Somewhere, tonight... A family is trying to understand how to live with the loss. Thanks to him, the war won't be coming here. That's a debt that can never be repaid. I'll always wonder about him. Does he have a family? A home? Or did he give it all up to join the fight? One thing's for sure. His rebel friends are the luckiest gang in the galaxy to have him on their side. And while that's happening, you see Chewie give the bandolier to this little Wookiee. And he gives the Wookiee a hug. And... The Wookiee points back at the home and asks a question and Chewie points up as the Millennium Falcon flies over, insinuating I can't come home yet, I've still got things to do. Which is a really nice bit of detail about Chewie in his life because his family is only sort of mentioned in passing, it's a little bit in Solo and then in you know Aftermath Trilogy it's mentioned there a little bit but it's quite a nice thing to see Chewie hugging who I assume is Lumpawaru. And then there's one more thing that I just wanted to add before we close up here and it's about the medal. And it's quite conv it's convoluted in certain ways. And I will say, this has very, very minor spoilers for Rise of Skywalker. There's nothing big about any of the other characters. It's just about Chewie, essentially, in Rise of Skywalker. So if you've seen Rise of Skywalker, that's fine. This shouldn't spoil parts of Rise of Skywalker for you. It's a very minor thing that happens at the end. But just in case you still haven't seen Rise of Skywalker somehow, and you're really really want to see it with no spoilers of any kind then maybe stop listening here but i'm going to proceed anyway so in a new hope when you see the medal ceremony with leia han and luke you see han or han i keep saying han instead of han you see han get given a medal as well as luke and chewie's just kind of standing by and doesn't get one off screen he does actually get a medal of bravery those three people are the only three that actually get one of these medals and what happens is that I believe this is in the Force Collector book, which I have yet to read, but I really want to. But essentially, 
Han seems to give Luke's medal to Mars Kanata to settle a tab he has. Now, for clarity, Mars Kanata, she's basically the small orange person who is in Force Awakens, a little bit in Last Jedi and a little bit of Rise of Skywalker, but she's most prominent in Force Awakens. She has the castle that gives refuge to Rey, Finn, and Han, and then the First Order attacks and stuff, and then the Resistance appears, and it's all really, really cool. But she's, she, I think she's like a thousand years old. She's been around for, well, a thousand years, and... Han gave her Luke's Medal of Bravery to settle a tab he had. It was He was meant to be giving it his medal, but then in the Force Collector book, it's shown that this guy who's got the ability to touch things, psychometry I think it's called, Cal Kestis from Fallen Order has it, Quinlan Voss has it as well, where you basically can touch something and then you see its history, you see who's touched it, that sort of thing. And he, this guy, touches the medal and he's like, this isn't a Han's medal, this is actually Luke's. So... Han gave Luke's medal to Mars Kanada and still has his own medal. So when he died in Force Awakens, Leia had Han's medal after he died and she kept it with her. Now, in The Rise of Skywalker, Mars then gives the medal, which was Han's medal, to Chewie. Now, a lot of people who see, you know, The Rise of Skywalker and they see Chewie get given a medal and they're like, oh, Chewie finally gets the medal that he was meant to get in A New Hope. And it's one of the reasons why certain people such as myself aren't the biggest fan of certain elements of Rise of Skywalker because... It doesn't, it doesn't click with the continuity. They had to do all these giant big loops just to make it make sense. Because in other content, Chewie already got a medal. So him getting a medal on Rise of Skywalker, for a lot of the, in air quotes, normie viewers, which is a lot of you guys, and that's not a problem, it's not a dig, but a lot of the people who just see the films, it's like, oh, cool, Chewie got his medal. But when you actually see the other content, he already got a medal. So they had to do this really weird backhanded way to get it sorted. But essentially, yeah, Chewie gave his medal to Zaro, which is a really nice gesture. He then gets Han's medal at the end of Rise of Skywalker, and Mars Kanata has got Luke's medal. And that's what happens to all of their medals, which I'm not sure if anyone really wanted to know that amount of information from it, but that's what this podcast is about. Unnecessary, random little side bits of information. But that's about it from me, guys. Uh, as I said, this is part of the Heroes of a New Hope collection. I got hardcover because um, I'm trying to get every single canon Star Wars comic, and I'm getting closer i've got a couple more got a lot of poe dameron ones to get and a couple more main star wars ones to get i think the tie fighter collection and i think there's like one or two others but i'm pretty sure i've got all of them now uh, apart from those few so i really recommend it it's a really cool collection of uh comics it's a lot of fun to read and it does give quite a nice bit of background to all the things uh, all the characters and sort of places like that um coming up next week i'm going to be doing darth vader volume three which is called the shu toran war um so that timeline wise will be running parallel to the episode i did last week which was the volume three of star wars main run which is rebel jail um then for episode 24 which will be the week after darth vader i have fully decided which one i'm going to do then i might end up doing the han solo comic because there is a han solo comic which isn't part of the heroes for new hope i can't remember exactly when the time scale is for it but it is a thing and i have not yet read it so i think that'll work quite nicely with the other comics and things that i've done so i'll be using probably that i don't know I haven't fully figured it out but then in episode number 25 i'm going to be doing a q a i've already got a few questions um i've got one about sort of dooku i've got one about sort of dark horse comics and uh canon stuff with that uh, i've got about how is maul in solo i've got 
uh, details about sort of canon timelines of movies and things and then also what are my favorite star wars characters from each of the eras um so i've got those sort of things um written down already which either my friends or other people i know in the community have said to me and they want me to answer these questions on air and i just want to say if there's any more questions that you want to ask you can either email me at star wars comics and canon at outlook.com or you can contact me in any of the social media places which is at genuine chit chat uh that's on facebook instagram and twitter you know reach out to me if you have any questions about any of these things as well i'd really like to hear them if you have any things like what's your favorite heroes of a new hope issue been thus far if you've read that i'd be really interested to hear that or my retelling of them the princess leia lando or chewy ones which is your favorite out of them i really want to hear from you guys a lot more you know kind of build up the community and that sort of things no pressure if anyone doesn't really fancy it um but yeah q a is going to be coming up soon and then i think after episode 25 which is the q a i'll probably do the next main run of star wars comics i'm trying to do the, the star wars and Darth Vader comics every now and then but i'm also going to embark on the age of comics uh, i'll go a bit more into them at another time but essentially the age of comics is from the three eras of star wars present which is age of republic age of rebellion age of resistance so prequel original and sequel era and each set of comics has got one comic to do with one individual character to my knowledge none of them really connect at all with the other comics they're just little one shots some of them are really really cool some of them aren't as great so i'm probably gonna do like two or three per episode just to kind of uh keep it conflated a little bit and things but that's essentially what i've got on the cards so yeah really appreciate you guys listening make sure you check out my other show genuine chits chat that's on its own other podcast feed i have different guests on each uh week and things so I've had people from the Comics in Motion on, I've had uh, authors on, musicians, you name it. I've had lots of different people on, uh, and it's a lot of fun to do. So, you know, follow me on the social media places, check out all the other shows on the Comics in Motion feed. Let me know if you want to hear anything specific in the Q&A coming up, and you know, tell me what you thought about Heroes of a New Hope. Tell me what you thought about this Chewbacca comic and lots of the other things. And as like I said, if there's anything you want to know, I can either answer you on or off air, just contact me. A couple of people already have, and I've been having nice conversations and things like that, but, you know, the more the merrier. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening, as always. I'll be talking to all of you next week, and may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.